Hello, everyone. It's Ayo here, and welcome to Episode 7 of The Nook. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I'm here to help you by answering your questions on teaching students with severe and profound disabilities, including autism. We have a great question today from Meredith. But before we get into her pressing question, I want to let you know that you can have your question answered right here on the podcast by submitting them to The Nook. You can do that by going to www.noodlenook.net slash podcast. If your question is chosen, you'll get a free resource from the Noodle Nook store, where you can choose from tons of products perfect for your classroom, like the core board communication tool. If you're working on getting your students communicating, this is the essential for your classroom. But either way, with over 150 products in our store, there are so many choices you'll find just what you need for your students in your classroom. So head over to the noodlenook.net slash podcast page and submit your question today. All right, here's today's question from Meredith. The parent of my student with severe autism, a speech impairment, and self-injurious behavior that leads to a lot of self-biting insists that he'll be going to college to become a computer programmer. I'm lucky if I can get him to log on to his computer independently. His mom wants him reading at a level so that he can be ready and doing on grade level math, which would be freshman algebra. But he has a hard time with anything past two-digit addition and subtraction when regrouping is involved. My campus is promising all kinds of miracles I don't think I can deliver. I'm starting to hate my job. This is just too much. What can I do? Oh my gosh, Meredith, I can see how this would be overwhelming. Teachers leave the profession every year because they feel overwhelmed by all of the responsibilities. And what sucks is that most of it is staff. It's not the students at all. It's the staff, the paperwork, the administration, and the educational system itself that just runs teachers out of the classroom. So let's take a look at your problem and see if we can't give you some tools to address it and get you back to loving your job. Because I know that you got into teaching because you love kids and you love the job. So it sounds like you're having some problems with how to answer to your students' parents, how to answer to your campus administration, and then really ultimately how to answer to your student and their needs. So let's talk about some ways you can address the needs of the student whose transition plan outreaches their current academic performance. First off, let's talk about how to answer to parents. Uh, Now, I have to say this. I always joke that I would be the biggest pain in the butt if my child were in a severe or mod classroom, life skills, or an autism unit. You would see me pulling up in the parking lot and everyone would scatter. And the reason for that is because I would always be out advocating for what I thought was in the best interest of my kid. And sometimes, uh, I'm sure, it might not be right or might not be easy. But honestly, that's exactly what most of our parents are doing. They might not be doing what we would do if we were in their shoes, albeit the methods may change, but the outcome is still the same. We're all out to just do right by our kids. So as you communicate with the parents, be sure that you let them know that you too are out for the best interest of their child. And the last thing that either of you want to do is lower your bar or abandon your expectations. Then I would let your parents know these three things. First, that you want what's best for their child too. Let them know that their child is not just another kid in your classroom and that you are always looking out for them and doing things in their best interests. Okay, but you can't just talk the talk. You've also got to walk the walk. You've got to do things that show your parents that you do care. Developing relationships with parents can bridge so many divides. It is well worth the effort. It could be that your parent had a bad interaction or relationship with previous teachers and you're just dealing with the fallout. So be sure to invest in that relationship. 
Second thing is you want to let the parents of your students know that you are only a step in their journey and you can't do it all. Then ask them to help you come up with a plan to meet their students where they are and move them towards your, their goal in a way that makes sense and is meaningful. I think sometimes they think that we can bridge a divide in a year, and that's just really not realistic. So having that conversation really opens up the pathway to having a meaningful conversation about what makes sense. And that brings us to the last thing to share with parents. I would be very purposeful to let parents know that even general ed students on grade level aren't expected to gain two or more academic years in a standard calendar year. To ask a child who's several grade levels behind to close the gap and function on grade level in a very short amount of time, I mean here he's a freshman and he has until his senior year, right, is probably an unattainable goal. Having this kind of conversation is extremely difficult. But you can't be expected to make two or three academic year gains in a single calendar year, and parents need to understand that. I feel like it's when you go on a diet. You know, you eat good for two or three days, and you can't figure out why you didn't lose all of the weight you were trying to lose. The truth of the matter is that it took weeks, months, maybe even years to gain all the weight, and it's going to take that long to get it off. When we are talking about these academic losses, they were lost over years. It would be unrealistic to try to get all those academic losses recouped in just a few months. All right, so those are three conversations you can have with parents. Let's talk about how to answer to that campus administration. There are times when your campus administration is sent out to help manage a contentious IEP meeting or help to be the mediator when a parent shows up on campus. Their role in the building does not always keep them up to date on what you yourself are doing in the classroom, how the curriculum is supporting your students, or the accommodations and modifications you're making so that your students can access the materials appropriately. So when they promise the moon, they likely don't even know how out of reach their suggestions might be. So here are three conversations that you're going to want to have with your campus administration. One is to remind them that if they're going to promise things to parents, team members, support staff, or whomever, that they also need to provide you the tools to deliver on that promise. The onus should not be on just you as the teacher, but on the campus as a whole, including the administration, to deliver on promises. Secondly, you'll want to let your campus know that you're providing instruction at the child's current prerequisite skill level to give them the academics that he needs. To do otherwise would not meet them where they truly are or take them forward in a meaningful way. If a kid is working on addition with regrouping and your campus is saying give them algebra problems, it is absolutely not meeting the student's need and it's not going to effectively move them forward. What it is, it's placating a parent and doing a disservice to the child. Now, if you're going to walk into campus administration and take this stance, you better be sure that you have some data to support your opinion. Show how your student is performing on current academic tasks and also on tasks that are more challenging. Show data on what that looks like with and without supports and also what that looks like over time to show a rate of growth. Your administration might not know the nuances of what you're doing in the classroom, but every educator speaks data. So you're going to have to talk to them in their language. Finally, talk to your campus administration and remind them that if a child succeeds, the child wins. But if they fail, we all lose. The campus administration and the teachers have to sit in the hot seat and answer to why. So we need to have realistic expectations and look at data to drive decisions. Promising the moon helps no one. Okay, so let's talk about answering to the student, because ultimately the person that we are really obligated to serve is the student themselves. Sometimes we get caught up in the lesson planning and the data sheets and the behavior management, 
and we forget that the student who's sitting in front of us has a limited amount of time to learn with a teacher. When these students graduate or age out of the K-12 system and go on to the post-secondary, they are not going to have a lot of other opportunities to have direct instruction in the same way again. That means for some of our students, what they've learned up until the day they graduate is all they're going to learn throughout their adult life. I guess what I really mean to say is that now matters, and it matters a lot. So let's talk about answering to your students. The number one way to do that is by presuming competence. I've talked about presuming competence before, and I'm going to link to that post in the show notes so that you can take a look. But no matter what, you need to always assume that your student is perfectly capable of learning the lessons you're trying to teach them. If they aren't learning, it's not them, it's you. And I know, I know that sounds so harsh, but but part of our job is to modify and accommodate materials and provide interventions and scaffolding. We've got to be the ones to help implement the systems that allow students to be as independent and accomplished as possible. If we make the assumption that our student is incapable or that a goal is unattainable, sometimes that equals us not providing all the things they need and not giving the full support to a student, and that is unacceptable. We have to presume competence and maintain high expectations with our students. Secondly, we have to remember that ready means never. If we continue to wait for a student to be ready to learn more complicated skills by virtue of having mastered basic skills, we will never get them to the point where they're going to learn complex tasks. So I understand that a parent is presenting you with an expectation that might seem out of your limits, but I want you to continue to remember that there's ways to move forward. So let's talk about ready meaning never. An example might be being able to count coins. Some students will work on this skill for years and still not get to mastery level. So, as a result, their teacher never moves on to giving instruction on bills because they haven't mastered the perceived prerequisite skill of coins. Over the long haul, that means that this student will never have an opportunity to learn how to count and view bills because they were unable to master the coins. This ready-me-never mentality severely limits our students' options. It's imperative that we allow our students to explore more difficult and complex ideas in addition to working on those basic skills where they're showing deficits. So if you've got a student who's reading several grade levels below expectation, it would be important that you still present them with more challenging activities and more challenging thought processes to keep allowing them to develop complexity of skills. Don't get stuck on word calling some grade level words in lieu of ever exposing them to anything more in-depth. Finally, as the teacher, it's really important to look at vertical alignment tools to see the big picture and determine what prerequisite skills your student needs to achieve those goals. I would pay particular attention to the goals that the parents have voiced as being most important. And here, for most of our students in self-contained autism units or severe mod classrooms, reading and reading comprehension is a huge one. So taking a few moments to look at the prerequisite skills a student needs to be successful helps you to have a very clear conversation with the parents and also provide them with a roadmap for skill development. As we throw out IEP goals in meetings, sometimes it can be hard for a teacher and the parents to really have a clear guideline as to where things are going. So a vertical alignment tool is the perfect opportunity to talk about where deficits exist and what the learning curve is going to look like. I have a link in the show notes for a vertical alignment tool that you can use to help guide you in this process. And even in early elementary, it helps to know where the student will end up going in their secondary learning as you devise goals and learning paths for a student. So be sure to bookmark this post so you always have this information and that link. 
All right, so lastly, and I'm not making any assumptions about you or the students that you service, but rather throwing out a general reminder to all the people that might listen to this podcast or read the post. We have to make sure that we are making choices for our students' futures and their transition outcomes. Not always what's easiest for us as a teacher, suggested to us by our campus or dictated by our administrators. Rigor means everything right now in light of all the recent changes in special education law, and we have to be sure that we are delivering a quality education to our students, writing IEP goals that are individualized and purposeful, and taking meaningful data that includes baseline, with and without information, and tracks more than just the goal on the paper. So let this serve as just a quick reminder to always be doing what's in the best interest of the student. All right, there you go, Meredith. I cannot lie, I really had fun answering your question, so thank you so much for submitting it. I'm going to send you out a free resource from the Noodle Next Door to help you out in your classroom. And because transition has been such a big part of this conversation, I suggest you check out the student survey and parent survey that's available in the store. I think it'll help you have good conversations and open the communication door with parents. So good luck. Those of you listening, if you want to have your question answered on the Nook, head over to noodlenook.net and click on podcast to submit your question. I also wanted to mention one more solution to a common problem in self-contained severe mod and autism classrooms, and that's having a reliable way to assess a student's current performance so that you can write that rock solid goal and provide longitudinal data. I personally have used the Brigance for several years and I highly suggest it as a way to assess students in English and math with some very concrete results that can guide your IEP writing. So click on the link in the show notes to see more, but believe me, it's worth the investment to be able to provide some extremely measurable tools over time, not only to your administrators, but to your parents as well. So bookmark this page and then be sure to share the link with your administrators so they can purchase and provide this essential assessment tool to you as the teacher on your campus. All right, y'all, there are so many questions out there about how to be the best teacher you can be when you work with low incident students and students with severe and disabilities like autism. And we need all the great teachers we can get. So stay strong and teach on. Thanks for listening to The Nook. Don't miss out on the next episode by subscribing today. Bye, y'all.